today on Fuzzy Logic, we've got a special National Science Week episode. We're talking to some geoscientists all about food and the future of food right here in Australia. Some fantastic guests lined up for you today right here on Fuzzy Logic. Morning, Canberra, and welcome to your Science on a Sunday. My name is Broderick Matthews, and it's a pleasure to have you in the studio for us, uh, with us for this fantastic National Science Week episode. Yes, National Science Week started on Saturday, and uh, we've got a fantastic week lined up across Canberra with some amazing activities. And uh, I know a bunch of them have moved online, unfortunately, due to our lockdown at the moment. Which look super important, really important that we stay safe but luckily I can still come in the studio here and share some science with you for National Science Week and as part of that we've got some fantastic guests lined up from Geoscience Australia. We're going to be talking about satellites, we're going to be talking about mapping and positioning and all those sorts of things on today's show and relating it all back to food which I'm quite excited about but to kick it all off today, our first guest uh, from uh, Geoscience Australia, we're starting right at the top. We've got the Chief Scientist of Geoscience Australia on the line with us, Dr Steve Hill. Good morning, Steve. Hey, good morning, Brod. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, mate. I'm well. Thanks so much for uh, for spending some time with us today uh, to talk about uh, geoscience. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. And yeah, even though Canberra might be in lockdown, we can still talk about science. Yeah, indeed, indeed. There's plenty to talk about. And uh, look, I, I did say earlier, we're going to dive into uh, food and um, geoscience today because food, uh, different by design, is our theme for National Science Week this year. But before I thought I'd do that, um, you know, you, your role, Steve, is Chief Scientist at Geoscience Australia. What What's most exciting about that role for you? Uh, I'm, I am spoiled with working at, a, at an organisation where we have a great number of fantastically passionate scientists that are working on a, a fantastic range of geoscience uh, challenges to help our nation. And uh, my role is across all of those scientists. And so I get to really uh, enjoy and revel in both what the, what the scientists are doing, but also how they're going as people. Uh, and also being scientists. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, a fantastic role to be in. I think to enjoy the the science and the scientists, um, just mm. awesome. And we're going to hear from some of your amazing scientists today. Um, but let's dive into to your passion area for geoscience, which I've uh, been told your background's in soils. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, since I first started going to university, I became very interested in. Um, landscapes, and in particular Australian landscapes and how they worked. I actually initially wanted to be an ecologist, but then I soon found that how living organisms function links very closely to the geology, the landforms, and of course the soils that we have across uh, not only Australia, but across our great planet and, and even other planets. Yeah, so I've 
there's there's must be a lot going on down there because you know sometimes we look on the ground and we just see uh, a bunch of dirt, uh, but there, there's much more to it than that. Um, you know, what, what 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 stories are we uncovering when we look at our soils? Yeah, Brad, you've you've actually wounded me. You've you've said that the. the the D word. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to offend you <laughs> so early. <laughs> always said with a with a connotation of contempt, and I, I'll just explain that dirt is actually soil or rock material that's out of place, just as a weed is a plant that's out of place. Right. Um, so prefer not to um, use the dreaded D word, um, and and in fact talk about things like soils and sediments and even. If I want to get more fancy, I'll talk about a word um, called regolith, which talks about that mantle of um, weathered material and soils and groundwaters and soil gases and everything across the planet. But uh, yes, they and, and I'm a big believer that what we see at the land surface, if we read it correctly, can tell us a lot about what's happened both in the past, perhaps also into the future, but also what's going on underneath um, and my research has been used a lot for looking for things like groundwater um, looking for mineral deposits um, but also just mapping out you know ancient river systems and things like that yeah so there's a, there's a lot of history in the the soils by the sounds but yeah how how many thousands of years are we looking at in in that that soil when we, we especially when we're looking in the top surface surface there um is is that recent history or are we seeing the effects of of thousands and millions of years coming to the surface yeah it's a really great point to raise uh in in australia um our soils are typically very ancient in their beginnings and we're talking there about millions of years you know maybe even hundreds of millions of years in many cases and the, the funny thing about that is that those soils they haven't just formed millions of years ago and then been completely static um, they still have features from those ancient times, but they've also continued to evolve and interact. And that's why we talk about soils um, and how important they are for sustaining plant life, for burrowing organisms, but even into things like, um, you know, water, how water moves in landscapes and, and even down to things like carbon capture um, with the organic materials in soils. So there's so much going on there. Well, let's yeah. let's. I, I feel like we could go. We could talk about this for the full hour long show. But, but let let's dive into to food. Um, and yeah. I wanted I want to talk about a term that I learnt uh, last time I went wine tasting um, when I was I was back in South Australia. That was um, a little while ago now. Um, but they talked about a term called terroir, which was look a, a fancy French term. But they were telling me that that the, the flavours that you get in the grapes are all due to the soil that it's growing in the region and all that sort of thing and that's that's why their their wine was particularly special um was what what the the winery was trying to tell me um but is is that what is that genuinely what we're seeing in our soils that they're contributing to the the food and helping shape uh what we see on top of the ground yeah that's right Bryce. yeah to our for grapes and wine is a really good example of that interaction between geoscience and um, and also food, or in this case, a beverage. Um, I must say that geoscience and alcoholic beverages like wine and beer also do interact with um, geoscience in both how they um, also lubricate the science 
scientists <laughs> that are doing the work. But um, yeah, Tawa is a great example of this. And um, yeah, it's that combination of soil, um, climate, uh, landscape position. But the thing that I find really remarkable about that is that, say, when you're you know swilling you know swilling around your glass of uh, wine and you're using fancy words like terroir and reading the labels on wine bottles and so forth, I think the remarkable thing is not just that that particular wine might come from a soil or a particular geology, but in many cases, as I said earlier, those soils and that position in in our landscape has actually formed over many millions of years and holds a great story in many cases of, you know, plate tectonics and Australia's drift as a continent northwards. All of those things are what are in that glass that you're drinking or in, in many other cases, the foods that we eat. Right. So all the, the different um, minerals that we see in the, the soil and that sort of thing are, are tracking back um, through all that period. That's just, just amazing. Um, so are, are you kind of saying that the, the wine regions that, uh, that we have across Australia, if we continue down the wine path here, um, were, were really determined, determined millions of years ago? Yeah, that's right. And, and it's also... Adds, really adds to the not only the the, the knowledge of of the uh, of the wine and and how it's produced and where perhaps more wine could be produced in other areas, but it really adds to the the value understanding that hey these soils and these environments are not just instantaneously um, you know renewable they've, they've taken a long time to develop so we really do need to look after them and, and get the best out of how we work with them. And I think key to that is actually the scientific understanding and the decisions that we make with evidence that comes from science around those areas. Yeah, well, how, how does that come to play in, in areas where we probably are starting to, to farm and reuse land a lot more? You know, we're almost continuously um, producing food on it. Uh, how how are we able to best uh, utilise that land so we're not just pulling everything out of there? Because if it's going to take, you know, thousands, millions of years to, to replenish, um, what's what's the best ways we can, um, we can look at that? Yeah, um, really... You know, to begin with, really fundamental things, and I think that's what I'm really keen to promote is, you know, understanding, firstly, about our soils and our geology and how that interacts with, with food production. Um, and then and having things like accurate maps that show the distribution of those different soils that are suitable for, um, say, in, in this case, agriculture, and then how we can manage them and make sure that the, the fertility, the viability, the vitality, but also the um, you know the erosion and so forth of those soils is is best managed by some of the things that we do. And and you know I'm a big believer, along with my colleagues here at Geoscience Australia, that you know the work that we're doing with satellite observation or Earth observations and positioning and some of the things that the other speakers from GA will will touch on are really fundamental to um, getting the best out of our country and looking after our country so that we can in turn uh, feed our country uh, and even export food um, to keep the people of the earth and the earth healthy and happy. Yeah, and that's that's a, a great point there. And, yeah, we're going to dive into the, the satellite uh, studies and, and positioning a bit more later on. Um, but if we, if we stick down uh, to, the, um, to the, the, the soil side of things and the, the earth testing... 
Um, yeah, how, how is geoscience going about uh, testing what's on the land? Are we uh, are scientists out there taking samples and, and looking at what's going on? Are we, are we digging down deep? How are we, how are we monitoring yeah. that? Yeah, we have a great history in Australia of um, mapping our our geology, our soils, our environment. And, and actually what's even better is that we tend to make that information publicly available through, um, you know, the best way to get some of that is through the Geoscience Australia website. And you can download that data and see that the results of, of decades of, you know, scientific endeavour about mapping and understanding our country and then um, and then that's what we're doing, we've been doing, or that's what we continue to do at Geoscience Australia and, and that in the past has involved things like boots on the ground, mapping, digging holes, drilling holes, things like that. And then increasingly in uh, recent times, I guess it started after the Second World War with aer- aerial photographs, but now into things like satellite imagery and not just, you know, images or pictures from, from space, but but really, you know, very well-designed um, imagery that we then process to answer really critical questions. And I'm pretty sure Claire will talk about that a little bit later this morning. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, no, we'll be diving into those those critical questions uh, indeed. Um, so I guess uh, we're, we're continuing to, to monitor the soils now. Um, what's, what are some of the, the biggest challenges that you think we're, we're going to be facing in the, the near future um, as, we, as we start to look at the, the soils and the, the changes that are taking place? Yeah, <clears throat> well, you know, things like environmental change, um, human um, you know, population and settlement patterns and, and resource needs. And this, this really then links back into the whole thing about food. Um, you know, just having quality food that can be produced from our soils, and that also requires good quality water. Um, those things, you know, I, don't, I think we're starting to now see that we can't take them for granted. And, um, you know, that, those pressures will get even greater um, I'm hoping that the good news is that the science is getting even better and we therefore getting better at how we do it. But, um, oh, you know, just things like our, you know, um, grain cropping and, and, and all of those things, just to sustain them uh, in, in the context of environmental change, particularly things like climate change, uh, and then that, you know, long time frame to create the soils and sustain them. I mean, you see things like those dust storms that come out of, um, you know, areas to the west of Canberra and you just realise after a while that you're looking at the topsoil that actually generates food and, and income for Australia and, and it's, you know, landing in our, in our drains and across our cities and those sorts of things are a massive challenge. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, we're seeing those those um, big uh, natural uh, uh, disaster-like events happening more and more, um, which which are, are changing things further and further. Um, you know, things like the the bushfires across um, the the start of twenty twenty. There, um, will, will we see that story reflected in our soils as as we move into the future? Yeah, and in fact, we do see it. Um in a lot of our past soils, we see changes in things like charcoal content and um, just the way that vegetation changes have influenced soils through Australia's um, you know, evolution as a continent. Um, and of course, yes, we will be seeing those things into the future. And we're seeing you know, soils changing now where 
um, we're losing, as I said, you know, we're losing a lot of that topsoil. So the whole notion of these very, what people think about as, you know, what were once very complete fossil soils, um, you know, they're actually, uh, you know, if, if they were a living organism and a lot of our soils have lots of living organisms in them, they would be an endangered species. So perhaps one way to think about it is that we're actually trying to manage uh, certainly a threatened um, resource and one that's just so important for our, our life and existence. You know, we take for granted, I think, in many ways that you can go to the supermarket and there'll be, you know, a bunch of carrots, a loaf of bread, a bottle of beer, all of those things at the, at the supermarket. But, um, you know, there's so much that goes on with that. And when you then think about, you know, the Earth's population and how that's increasing, we already have you know, major challenges with people being hungry in the world and the population is increasing and our pressure on resources like soils and, and our landscapes also, um, is also increasing. Yeah, that's right. Definitely a growing population, uh, you know, uh, means we do have those, those challenges around food and food production and that sort of thing. And yeah, I, I can't say I've ever really thought of, of soil as a living thing, but I think the, the phrasing you gave there as a threatened species um, is, is a fantastic way to think about it uh, as we move into the future and, and start to you know, look after those soils a bit more. Yeah, to look on a, on a, um, a, you know, a soil scientist or a you know, geoscientist that works a lot with soils when they see a you know, beautifully intact and functioning soil profile, they get this sort of warm glow and glint in their eye because it's it's not something you're you know that you see every day you know and you think about even around canberra you know we've, we've you know dug over and modified and covered our our landscape and our soils with you know bitumen and concrete and and lawns and landscape you know we've really done a lot to change our environment and particularly that bit that that uh, covering of our country that we rely on for life yeah, yeah, it's quite quite amazing when you think about it. Yeah, the, there's so much there that's available to us that could be uh, supporting our way of life, but uh, what we cover it with is is quite um, quite amazing to consider. Yeah, well, Steve, thanks so much for for sharing uh, your passion this morning for soils and um, and and some of the ways that it, it contributes to our, our food and nutrition. I think there's certainly a lot um, for us to consider there. Um, but there's certainly a lot of amazing work that geoscience is doing to, to help support these soils into the future. Excellent. Brod, can I just finish with a quick plug for a public seminar that we have at Geoscience Australia on of, Wednesday? Of I course. I just half plugged it there. Um, yeah, we have a public seminar series, and this coming Wednesday we have a public seminar that's um, accessible online, and it's called um, Food by Geoscience Design. The geoscience of food from tectonic plates to dinner plates and um, we have a series of geoscience australia presenters talking about some of the work that we do but you'll also hear a bit more about some of the things that as you said we could we could have talked for days about um, you know different foods and 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 even and, and even rocks and minerals that we eat directly and things like that so um, i'll be talking a bit more about them on wednesday and if people want to register for that uh, if they go to ga.gov.au and look under events, they'll see that um, that uh, seminar and you can pre-register to be able to access it online on Wednesday at 11am. 
Awesome. Thanks very much for that, Steve. Uh, a fantastic opportunity to hear more from you and more about the food of geoscience uh, this this Wednesday. Head to uh, ga.gov.au and look up events there. Um, Chief Scientist at Geoscience Australia, Dr Steve Hill, thanks once again for joining us this morning to talk uh, food and soils. Oh, thanks for the chat, Brian, and I hope the listeners uh, enjoyed that. Thanks, Steve. Uh, we're going to take a short break now with uh, some music, and when we come back, we've got more geoscience and food for here, right here on Fuzzy Logic. And that was Shark Fin Blues by Missy Higgins there. The time is 11.26 and you're listening to Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday right here on 2XXFM, people-powered radio. It's community radio in Canberra. Uh, and you might be listening on 98.3 on the FM dial or streaming online at 2xxfm.org.au. Plus, we also podcast our show as well. So if you do enjoy your Fuzzy Logic and you want a bit more, Fuzzy Logic on 2xx.podbean.com is where you can find us or just type in Fuzzy Logic to iTunes and you can find the podcast there and listen to old episodes, including this one when I upload it. Today, we do have a special National Science Week episode because uh, National Science Week kicked off on Saturday and there's a whole range of events happening across Canberra. They've changed a little. Uh, some were in person and they've moved to online. Some have been delayed. To keep up with all the latest news for uh, National Science Week, scienceweek.net.au for events across the country and check out uh, Science Week ACT or ACT National Science Week it is on Facebook too where they'll be giving you updates as to what's going on. But this year for National Science Week, the theme is food different by design. And uh, we're chatting to a few scientists from Geoscience Australia this morning to look at the different ways that geology and geoscience helps inform our food and what we do with it. And the next scientist I've got on the line is a remote sensing scientist from Geoscience Australia, Dr. Claire Phillips. Good morning, Claire. Good morning, Brock. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for coming on board today. Now, we're, we're talking food and uh, how uh, that happens, but, uh, but your work is uh, all around uh, remote sensing and satellites and, and that sort of thing. So we're going to have to take a couple steps back here to work out uh, what, what's going on and how we get into our food. So let's, let's take a look at these satellites first. Um, how do satellites help inform us about the, the Earth's surface? How are you using them? Well, I guess the first step is to consider that at any one moment in time, there are thousands of satellites flying overhead in the atmosphere at any one time. They're collecting data, all sorts of different data types about the Earth's surface. And in the Digital Earth Australia program at GA, which I'm based in, we use data from optical satellites. So those are satellites which are collecting data about light reflected off the Earth's surface. So any process on the Earth that is associated with a colour change, for example, vegetation greening up during, um, during peak growth periods or water movements across landscapes, those are the sorts of processes that we can investigate using our remote sensing data. Right, and, and so that's just being continuously collected by, by all those satellites orbiting around us, that data? It is, it is. The, um, the suite of satellites, whose data we use quite largely. Um, we've been collecting their data for since the late 1980s. And 
And what we get with that data is a full picture of the Australian landscape every 16 days or so. So if you consider almost fortnightly pictures of Australia over more than 30 years, that's a very rich time series that we've got, which is really useful for looking at change in Australia over time. That must be a lot of data, though, to, to be collected. It is a huge amount of data, and, you, and we are using commu- computer science techniques. A lot of programming goes into it, and a lot of um, software engineering. So a lot of high-performance computing sits behind this research to, to really bring you what, what, what you can see when we, when we look at this data online. Yeah, okay. So it's not all just uh, have, you don't need a, a scientist to analyse every little bit to, to work out what's going on. But I imagine there is a lot of um, uh, labour and, and human work involved in, in, in interpreting this data and understanding what's happening. Historically, there has been. Every piece of data that came down did have to be manually handled. The nice thing about high performance computing is that we can now instruct the computers to do a lot of that uh, that data handling and that that pre-processing for us so we're lucky enough to be in the position now where data can come in from the satellites and we can have a near real-time feed of that data within hours days at most so we're very lucky that way that's pretty amazing to to be able to download that quickly and get that information is um it's very impressive so today we're, we're talking about food and, and the way um, our geoscience affects that. So I guess this, this satellite data that we're seeing here, we're seeing changes on the Earth, but how are you then uh, taking that data and helping inform um, what happens in our, you know, our agriculture and aquaculture sectors? Well, let, let's jump back into the, what the data looks like again for a oh, minute yes. so that we can answer that question. Um, so, so this data is a collection of reflected light. And every time you take a photograph, you're effectively doing the same thing. If you take a photograph, you're sampling the light spectrum. You're, the photograph you're looking at is a measurement of the reflected light from what, you're, what you took a photo of. So the satellites are doing the same thing, but they only sample parts of the light surface, of the light reflected. Um, so the, the major, um, I guess, sampling regions of the spectrum we look at the red green blue and the near infrared regions which is just outside of what the eye can see and what we can do is we can translate that data and apply algorithms to it based on processes we know that are occurring on the surface so let's talk about photosynthesis that's a a chemical reaction that has a very high energy requirement of light from the the red part of the, the light spectrum, but very little use for near-infrared energy. So what the satellite sees when it's looking over vegetation is next to no reflection of red light, but very high reflection of near-infrared. So when we apply an algorithm over those parts of the data we see, we can get a lot of information about uh, processes going on over vegetated environments. So if you were a a land manager, for example, or, or a farmer, perhaps you've got a, um, a really big property that you're trying to manage, you really need to know where it's most important to put your energy in, your time, your energy, your efforts of all of your staff. So the way that a farmer might use this satellite data is to look over their farm, 
identify areas where production is, is really strong. There's a lot of lush green growth, which is what some of the satellite data will tell you. And that might help you make your decisions about the day going, okay, well, I don't need to spend my time over there. That part of the farm's looking after itself. But perhaps over on the other side here, we're seeing that the, the greenness response in the satellite data isn't quite what we expect. And maybe we need to go and have a look over here for a while and see if we can improve the conditions to improve our agricultural production. Yeah, okay. So it's more than just, yeah, looking at the, the pictures there. You're actually interpreting the, the light coming off to understand the, the processes that are happening on the ground. That's right. And, yeah. and we can reconstruct that light to, to turn it into imagery, um, which is very pretty imagery too, by the way, I should say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I think that's what I think of when I, I think of satellites above us. I'm like, oh, of course, they're just taking photos like Google Earth and that sort of thing. But um, but it, it sounds like there's there's much more to it than that. And, and you, yeah, it sounds like the, the uh, light that you're capturing is very specific and capturing specific areas for specific reasons. It is very targeted. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And... Um, uh, we were talking about on, on land seeing um, uh, photosynthesis happening in different areas on the absorbance of light there. Do we see, uh, are you able to see things over water as well? I'm thinking of our aquaculture and the work that's happening there. Yes, yes, we are. And, that, and, you, and you've touched on my area of interest. So I'm <laughs> very happy to talk about water science. Yes. Well, let's dive so, in. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in aquatic environments, we aren't so much monitoring aquaculture processes themselves, but what we can do is um, infer, inform, look at the impacts of a lot of the, the processes that underpin the success of that agri aquaculture. So there's um, a lot of remote sensing has historically been used over the Great Barrier Reef. And there's a lot of, a lot of industry out there um, who, who need to really understand the importance or, or the, the health of their ecosystems for their business models. And, and something that remote sensing does really well up there is it identifies the effects and the extents of, of sediment plumes that come off the land and, and can really smother parts of the reef with sediment. So if you imagine what the satellite sees, you're looking down over the reef and you've got those crystal blue, green waters, they, they come up really nicely in the imagery. And then what else we can see is after, perhaps after really big flooding or rain events, you can see all of the sediment washing off through the river systems out over the reef. And they, they look like these big brown plumes that just sort of spread out over the reef and some other areas. Mm. So some of the ecosystem impact might include sedimentation and that might that can have smothering effects over uh, seagrass areas, for example. Yeah. Um, there can be impacts on water quality. So sometimes those sediment plumes can carry a lot of fertilisers in them that can cause the blooms of, in coastal areas, very toxic phytoplankton colonies, and they come up as colour responses in the in satellite imagery too. So we can have a look at extents and durations there and really get a handle on impacts and and so in some cases we can form monitoring too yeah so and i guess there you're you're seeing the effects of of what's happened um but but how are you using that to help uh, uh 
you know, have it have a change or, or, or make things better for the environment? I, I guess it's important to remember that, that we are only reporting what the satellite sees. Mm. So so we do have work programs that are that are doing a lot of, of new research, trying to come up with new data sets that that can help inform inform what we see happening on the land and that that often feeds into other parts of um of monitoring and land management so so we, we sometimes are providing those supplementary data sets sometimes they're even the foundational mapping data like steve was talking about that that help help other decision makers take that information and and work out what we can do to improve the processes that are happening on the land yeah, because I guess yeah, having that information is just so key and important to to help inform all of that that side of things. For sure, it is. Yeah, yeah. and I guess as um, you've talked a lot about the work that that you're doing as, as scientists there, which is just amazing. But are there ways that um, that the the general public can get involved to to see what's going on and and contribute to the the work that you're doing? They they certainly can. And I guess, you know, since lockdown has hit, for anyone with a bit of extra time on their hands that they didn't see coming, you can come and touch and play with this data, um, which is something that's very fun to do. As I said, it's beautiful data. And if you've got any experience using a platform like Google Earth or something, you should be fine using this. So you can have a look at our data at our website, maps.dea.ga.gov.au. You could also just Google search uh, Geoscience Australia, remote sensing. Um, but certainly there are ways that citizen scientists can get involved and they're actually really important data inputs that help us not only confirm our interpretations of the data but also help uh, give us the data to support future research. So if you imagine a full data set of Australia every two weeks, that's not something where you've got enough people power on our own to go out and validate. So citizen science is really helpful. Uh, and because it's that optical um, data set, a lot of the time it's, it's citizen science you can just do with your phone, taking a photograph. For example, UNSW, University of New South Wales, has put out an app called Coast Snap, and that lets you take photographs of coastlines, um, perhaps only relevant to some Canberrans this week. Mm-hmm. Um, which lets you take a photograph of coastlines and that data helps us interpret our um, our coastal data looking at coastal change or we're working with the CSIRO using data from their app called Eye on Water, E-Y-E, on Water. And, and that's where members of the public take photographs of, of water bodies across Australia, dams, rivers, lakes, creeks, ponds. And, and we're... We're really finding that um, that data set of watercolour really valuable as we're developing new science looking at water quality across Australia. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. So many ways to get involved, and I think that's just awesome. Um, yeah, you mentioned you know Coast Snap um, when we can go back down the coast again for sure. But uh, at the moment, while we are at home, uh, the Eye on Water uh, sounds like a great application, or the uh, Digital Earth Australia you're talking about with that mapping there at uh, maps.dea.ga.gov.au. I've just brought it up on my phone, and I'm already zooming around Australia. Um, you know, which is great. I'm feeling like I'm getting out and about a bit, which is. <laughs> It's quite Fantastic. nice. Go on, a, go on a treasure hunt. See if you can find the, the pink water bodies in Western Australia. Ah, they're, awesome. a, they're a juicy reward. Awesome. All right. They are finding the pink water in WA. Um, you can do that, listeners, and um, you can tweet us at uh, Fuzzy Logic SCI, Fuzzy Logic Sci, uh, when you find that, and um, Claire will be able to see it there. Um, well, look, thanks so much uh, for coming along this morning and, and sharing um, some of your work there, Claire. It's just amazing to hear how uh, well, the, the level of monitoring that is going on across the country um, and how that's helping uh, feed data into to keeping our agriculture and aquaculture uh, happening. So thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, wonderful. And that's uh, Dr. Claire Phillips there, remote sensing scientist at uh, Geoscience Australia. We're going to take another break here on um, uh, Fuzzy Logic, have a bit of music, and uh, then when we come back, we've got one more geoscientist waiting for us. So uh, let's have a short break now. And that was Brother B there with Cider Smile. Great little Canberra band, Brother B. This is uh, Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday. It's just ticking over to 11.47 uh, right here on 2XXFM. Broderick with you. And I've been joined today by a range of scientists from Geoscience Australia who are sharing their work. And we're applying it to food because it's National Science Week at the moment. Food different by design is the theme for this year's National Science Week. And so... We're looking into uh, the different ways that geoscience affects the food that we eat daily. And our next guest uh, joining me on air is uh, Amy Peterson, who has the fantastic title. Well, she's the the team lead for Global Navigation Satellite Systems um, and does some amazing work there. But uh, her area is uh, she's a geodesist, uh, which I think is a fantastic title for you. Uh, Welcome along, Amy. Oh, hold on. I have to press this Hello? button. Hello. Sorry, I forgot to press the on-air button for you, Amy. I'd done two out of three, five, <laughs> and then I forgot to ask. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Rod. Uh, excited to be here with you today. This is honestly my most favourite uh, week of the year as a professional, so happy to talk <laughs> science with you. Awesome. Well, that, that's what we're about on Fuzzy Logic. Um, now, I said you're a, a geodesist. Um, what, what, is, what is that role? Tell, to explain it to me. Geodesy, uh, or um, geodesy is really understanding the, the shape and size and uh, deformation of, of the Earth and we use uh, technology such as global navigation satellite systems to, um, or here at Geoscience Australia, to quantify and monitor the Earth's movement, uh, produce a national datum and reference system and also we use uh, positioning to determine the impacts of natural disaster. So that's some of the work we've we've been doing here at Geoscience Australia. Um, mm. But currently, we're actually fortunate to be working under a new program, which is the Positioning Australia program, to 
bring some of the benefits of uh, position navigation and timing to uh, the benefit of industry and a broad range of users. So bring kind of what we do back to the people. Awesome. And we'll dive into that in just a moment. But I guess my, my first question is in terms of mapping what's going on across the country, like we know that our our country isn't flat. I mean, it is relative to, to some of the European uh, and Asian countries where they have giant mountains. But um, but once once we've mapped uh, where everything is and, the, you know, the, the heights and depths and all that sort of thing, does it all stay the same or is it continuously changing? No, so our um, plate is actually moving, so um, the velocity such that we're moving around 70 millimetres a year to the northeast. Seven, uh, 70 mils, so seven, seven centimetres a year, okay, so that's, that's, yeah, that's a right. little so bit. So we're trying to integrate data um, using positioning as the, the common link. Um, we really need to be able to layer these data sets on top of each other and be able to integrate them with some confidence because centimetres um, do matter for many applications. Right. And yeah, I guess that was going to be my next question. Yeah. So how accurate are you mapping? You're mapping down to the centimetre? So for sure we can with uh, precise positioning. Uh, This is part of the capability that um, I'm rolling out ground-based infrastructure to support. Um, There are obviously different applications that might um, rely on positioning to the to the meter level so if you're driving around in a vehicle um, that might be suitable but if you're looking um, particularly in construction surveying um, some of these activities that require high precision centimeters is definitely what we're chasing yeah because i imagine our our daily like most people's daily experience with you know global positioning and that sort of thing would be through google maps or something like that and and in in google maps uh, we're it's not super accurate. It's probably within the metres we're looking at there. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. most of the listeners today would be familiar with using um, uh, GPS, which is the more familiar uh, global navigation satellite system, and they'd be using it for navigation, for instance, in their car. So, you know, arriving at a house number with a, you know, 20-metre frontage, that's more than adequate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, precision agriculture, which we'll talk about today, is really interested down at that next level. Yeah, and so that's a different satellite system to the the one we use for for GPS? No, it's exactly the same. So we have satellites that are um, circulating above us 24 hours a day, uh, about 20,000 kilometres. Those satellites are sending signals down to us. Um, If we're picking it up in our mobile phone, it's pretty much the raw data. But the ground-based infrastructure that my team is... Um, developing and modernising, they take that information from the satellites, they correct, verify, and then we can redistribute that data uh, back to back to users in a free, open, consistent way. Um, and because uh, essentially the receivers are seeing the same thing as um, they're using the, the satellite corrections to really drive down that accuracy. So bring it from the metre level down to the centimetre. Yeah, that's, I find that really interesting, actually, because I, I presumed that, um, no, there must be different satellites to get that accuracy, but it's your work on the ground that's helping us bring all this to, to become more accurate. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so let's dive into the, the agricultural applications because, yeah, as we've been saying, it's all about food today. Um so what sort of what sort of applications do we see in the the agriculture sector for these these positioning technologies? 
So agricultural sector in Australia has been using uh, precise positioning for around 25 years. Um, typically, there'll be farmers out there that have a lot of um, machinery, big expensive machinery that are doing very repetitive tasks. So we're talking about driving along straight lines, yeah. uh, cropping, seeding, spraying, anything that is um, that is quite a, a regular um, activity can really benefit from positioning for automation. Yeah. So you can you can think that um, a, a driver, um, you know, may um, be fatigued. Um, we've got machinery that is um, working in in rows that are potentially a metre apart. We're trying to maximise the return on the crop um, by knowing things at a, at a very high accuracy or precision. Yeah, well, actually, I, I, I have been on a, a tractor um, across uh, my brother-in-law across in uh, Jerramungup in, in Western Australia in the wheat belt there. Um, he does some wheat farming and we went across and visited him and uh, jumped on board the tractor for, for one afternoon when he was... Um, uh, what what period of time? I think we were seeding at that point in time, and yeah, it was just amazing to sit there, and this tractor is is driving itself in a straight line. Basically, um, he had to he had to turn it around at the other end, um, and then it would dr- bring itself back in that straight line. And um, I was I was amazed at um, all the the little bits and pieces on board. Um, but I'm even more shocked to hear from you that this has been happening for about 25 years in Australia. Yeah, absolutely, um, and I guess. I'm just thinking about something that's locally um, happening at the moment. Mm. So in Australia, we have very secure food production. 90% of our food um, is grown in Australia or produced in Australia. Um, The challenge recently with COVID is that we've had a projected shortfall of around 26,000 fruit and vegetable pickers. Uh, Very topical at the moment. And so obviously Mm. any opportunity to innovate, um, to think about these types of problems and apply that into how we do business um, is, is really going to be important to us as the consumers because we need that guaranteed um, food. So at the moment, a lot of the, the pickers are seasonal um, international workers that can't access Australia. So you can think that um, farmers are really willing to commit uh, money into research and development to automate um, some of these, some of these tasks, I guess, in food production. Yeah, and that's um, that's uh, one of the great things I think about uh, your positioning Australia program, Amy. Is uh, this is something that you're doing to to help give access to to all Australian um, uh, farmers and and those across the the sector? Is th- this is something that anyone can dive into? Uh, it is a precise positioning capability. Is really um, something that we're developing for uptake by. Um, industry, so value-added resellers that take that support uh, the industry in um, in using the technology, particularly in a stack, so integrated with other things, so such as the satellite imagery, um, some of the on-ground intelligence. Um, typically, um, some other capabilities that we're also developing under this program will be more mainstream and opened up to uh, everyday users for, for other applications. Um, some of the other uh, users, I guess, in bringing food from the, the paddock to the plate will be in supply and um, logistics chain. So intelligent transport systems is another example that's really emerging, understanding how we can get um, 
you know, moves this food, so 90% of food distributed all across Australia, back to back to shops and, and uh, retail. Yeah, and I think that just ties in so nicely with um, uh, kind of what we were discussing with uh, Steve at the very start here, that, um, you know, the food is and our soils are becoming such a precious resource um, and and from what I'm hearing your work around that the satellite tracking is just making sure we take uh, full advantage of, of everything we can out on the ground and, and moving the food from um, from yeah from farm to home yeah absolutely broad so um, with precise positioning you can essentially tell um, or, or distinguish a plant uh, between another plant out in out in a crop. So that helps maximise yield, uh, reduce food waste. Um, we all know that Australia's been in drought for, for quite a few years, so if you've got valuable inputs such as fertiliser and water, you want to make sure that they're getting to the plants that need that the most, um, and we can really optimise what we're doing and, and reduce, reduce the waste and ensure that ultimately us as the consumer get quality product um, and there's a there's a real driver there to, to use technology to do that. Yeah and I presume your positioning work would tie into what we heard earlier from Claire in terms of you know mapping um, the the imagery from the ground and, and uh, bringing all that uh, to our farmers. Absolutely so positioning is the the critical link to integrating the different data um, the, the data types, the satellite imagery, drone imagery, uh, localised weather, soil measurements. Um, this is all kind of, you know, a big stack of intelligence that helps agronomists um, make the most out of their, their crops. Yeah, that's just amazing. And, uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm so uh, impressed by all this geoscience that's happening across um Geoscience Australia that really is just feeding into our food that I had uh, no idea about uh, before today. It's just very impressive work. Uh, I think we're all quite excited here at Geoscience Australia Broad, um, you know, particularly uh, to know that the, uh, the science is being applied to meet some of Australia's most important challenges and food production is something that we really do need to guarantee. Yeah, most certainly. Well, thanks so much uh, for your time today, Amy. Uh, it's been fantastic to talk about food and geoscience with you. Thanks so much for having me on today, Brod. Yeah, and thanks to all our geoscientists, Amy Peterson, Dr Claire Phillips and uh, Chief Scientist at Geoscience Australia, Dr Steve Hill, for their sharing um, the work that's happening and, and contributing to food production here in Australia. If you want to hear more, there's plenty more events happening across National Science Week here in Canberra and Australia. Check out scienceweek.net.au and ACT National Science Week on Facebook. My name is Broderick Matthews and you've been listening to Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday.